right, ladies and gentlemen around the Delaware Valley, welcome back to Legal Talk with Jeff Nirenberg. We've got a fantastic show on WWDB Talk 860. Uh, I'm ecstatic to bring in our host Jeff Nirenberg. Jeff how are you sir? Joe how are you? Glad to be back for another segment and uh, really really excited to introduce my guest today. Yeah we do have a, a, a an excellent guest and we're going to bring him in uh, right away because we're going to talk we're going to have a little bit of fun before we uh, talk law but um, he is a premier attorney we got a lot to talk about medical malpractice products liability but first we're going to talk about some you know, Penn State uh, football, you know, Sixers basketball, all those things. But but first, introduce our guest, if you will. So thank you, Joe. I'm really proud today. Uh, this is a very, very close friend of mine, Danny Jack, uh, a top, top flight uh, medical malpractice and products liability attorney that I've had the good fortune to know most of my life. We met many, many years ago back in camp at an overnight camp. We went to Penn State together. He was at a rival high school, Cheltenham, while I was at Abington, hmm. and he attended Temple Law School. Um, Danny is the managing partner at Eisenberg, Rothweiler, Winkler, Eisenberg, and Jack. He's, he's been at this for 30 years, handling uh, complex litigation, which is mainly medical malpractice and products liability. Danny has tried dozens and dozens of cases in PA and New Jersey, and I know that he's tried cases in many other states uh, too many to, to, to really list. Um, he has been the past president of the Pennsylvania Trial Lawyers, and he was the unfortunate president during COVID in the 2020-2021 uh, year, and he dealt with so many issues that he'll discuss a few of them with, with me and you, but uh, he went through maybe the, the, the most difficult time as president, and uh, I'm just really proud to have Danny uh, on the show and I'm looking forward to uh, to talking with him. Well, Dan, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Jeff, you know, you, you can always tell uh, whenever someone calls me Danny, you know that um, we go way, way, way back. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. I've known Jeffrey for uh, since we were kids. And um, you've never met a, a nicer guy and a, a great lawyer and a passionate guy. He's not only passionate about the law, but everything he does, he does with exuberance and with happiness, and it's infectious. And I'm, I'm anytime Jeff asks me to do something, I'm, I'm here to do it. So yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you, I, I have had the, the fortune, uh, Dan, to uh, to have a, a number of members on, on, you know, from 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 your firm. He, uh, yesterday, I had Todd Schoenhaus on, and, and um, so we so, uh, he, funny funny thing. So I um, I. I, yeah, I was put on the spot by the guest to, to to announce the whole name of the firm, and yet Todd said Eisenberg Rothwell, and I'm like, wait a second, how come he gets the abbreviated term? And and I got and I would practiced it Eisenberg Rothwell Wink or Eisenberg and Jack. That's right. Yeah, it's it. a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, and I got it. Okay. So, by the way, I've never asked this question before. We get talking. What what are the responsibilities of a managing partner? Because you know, you, you know, we've obviously have had a lot of managing partners. I never asked that question. So, first off, we always like to say the entire name since my lane comes at the very yeah, end. At the, at the very end. <laughs> so we make sure we get We, we call it here to Jack firm, yeah, but go ahead. Exactly. Um, yeah, so managing partner, look, I mean, uh, my firm is, uh, we, have, we have 11 lawyers uh, with staff. We're talking 25 people. Um, we're right here in Center City, Philadelphia, 17th and Spruce. We've been here for, for over 30 years. And managing partner, I just I get the opportunity to be not just a lawyer. I get to be part psychiatrist, part uh, doctor, uh, COVID expert, part um, friend. Uh, anything that's required to keep everybody um, happy, motivated, and moving moving our cases. I mean, our and Jeff would tell you this. I mean, with with personal injury law, and it doesn't matter if you're handling complex cases or if you're handling um, routine more routine cases or whatever you're handling. You know, we only get paid when cases turn over. Yeah. So we, our, our, our motto is uh, trials move files. And what we do is we just take the cases in, we get them reviewed, we get them into suit, and then we, we get them ready for trial. And then if, if you have, do that enough and you do it long enough and you do it really well, things will turn out well for your clients. And um, that's what we do. As managing partner, I just make sure I give everybody the wherewithal to be able to help us uh, move our files, and uh, I've got a. Let me just let me just give props. I've got great partners. 
um, including Todd, you just mentioned. Um, I've got a great office manager, Chris Donahue, um, and I've got an entirely great staff. My, my group that works with me are Fran and Terry and Josh, my partner, Josh Schwartz. We're sort of one little group that works within the firm, and none of this can be done alone. So um, you need to have good people working with you. Um, it, makes, it keeps things moving. It keeps you happy, and it, 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 it works. Dan, I wanted to follow up with you. Uh, I've known you, obviously, for so many years. What, what brought you into medical malpractice? I know your father uh, was, was a wonderful practicing doctor, and I want to send my condolences again. I know that your dad passed a few weeks ago. Um, what, what inspired you to get involved in medical malpractice? And, and I know that you have such passion and great results, but tell us, like, the origin story of why. Sure, that's a, that's a good question. So in law school, um, my first job was working for a fellow by the name of Jack Feinberg, who was a pretty well-known guy who passed away several years ago. Um, a firm called Feinberg and Silva. And my father knew Jack Feinberg. My father used to review cases for him. So my dad was an obstetrician, and Jack and he were good friends. And I used to come in with my dad when I was a kid. On the weekends, my dad would, re would review files with Jack, and I got to know Jack, and I got to know some of the lawyers that worked there. Law school, it was just natural that I asked Jack for a job while I was working in law school, and Jack let me be become a law clerk there and sort of brought me under his wing. Jack did medical malpractice um, all over Pennsylvania. This guy worked, had a great work ethic, worked on Saturdays, handled all types of cases all over the Commonwealth, and was a, a true trial lawyer. I mean, this guy tried cases in counties you've never even heard of <laughs> in Pennsylvania, and loved it, loved it. So uh, I would go out with him to take depositions. I would drive his big Mercedes when I was a kid, um, my job was to get him there, and on the way back, he would take depositions all day. On the way back, we'd stop in Huntington, Pennsylvania, and sign up 20 cases um, and be there to 11 o'clock at night and get back at 1 in the morning. And the next day, he was back at work by, by 8 or 9 o'clock. He, he, was, he was unbelievable, and he was just an old-school guy. And the other thing I learned from Jack was just how to put cases together. He had a great uh, group of experts that were close with him, and he would sit on the weekends and go over the medical uh, theories of the case and the defenses in the case and, and he, that's what he was really good at and he was nice enough to let me sit through that and just being there with him and my dad and going over up first obstetric cases and then orthopedic cases, neurology, I just got to know a lot about how to put cases together and I, you know, I was a frustrated uh, guy that couldn't become a doctor so I became a lawyer and it was just you were an actor too. I remember you yeah, were a thespian. He, he, he used to perform in uh, in, in lots musical of shows. and shows at nice. Penn State and high school. Yeah, yeah. So you're so a starving it, actor it was, too. It was great. So the other thing is, is that you know my dad was very supportive, even though I was on the side of the fence that brings lawsuits against doctors. Um, he understood that there were lots of mistakes that are made, um, and that people need to take responsibility for their mistakes. And and with medicine, people can become very injured and very hurt or get killed even from, from these medical mistakes. And there, there really are a lot out there. And, and um, th you don't really see it until you work in a law office and see all these, these, these fact patterns that come your way that just really show um, how difficult it can be. And my father was very supportive of that. My dad was just, had a very open mind. Was there tension uh, ever? I mean, with, no. with a doctor and, and a medical malpractice lawyer, was there ever no. any, any tensions, any problems? No, but I'll tell you this. My cousin Lynn... Uh, who works at Marshall Dennehy, is a defense lawyer. She's the best. But it makes for difficult dinner conversations yes. sometimes with her. She defends nursing homes, and um, I've had a lot of cases against nursing homes. And, you know, her, her bent is, is, is certainly defensive bent. But, look, when you have facts that are very strong facts and you have bad things happen to good people and there are serious damages, which, I'm, fortunately, I'm, I'm in a position to take those cases, it it's kind of speaks for itself. I don't know how you can really say that you're wrong for taking that case. You're wrong for looking into that case. Um, Dan, let's get Lynn on the line. I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> she'll hear this and she'll call. Uh, she's, and she's, 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 much, she's much smarter than I am, um, and she's a much better lawyer than I am, but, but we get along very, very well. She's my dad's, my dad's niece, too. So, um, But, yeah, look, I mean, I, I fell into it because I got my first job in law school, and I worked all through law school, and then... Um, and then it, it kind of took off from there. Um, Jack worked in um, a suite full of really good lawyers. Um, Mike Deutsch, may he rest in peace, uh, worked uh, at a firm next to Jack's firm 
And I got to just know people by meeting people, just like you do. I mean, you work in a suite with lots of different lawyers. You just get to meet people. And the way I got my first real job uh, after law school was I met uh, a lady who also had her own practice named Gail Lewis, who um, was also a very smart lawyer, did medical malpractice work. And she hooked me up with uh, Judy Greenwood and Mitchell Shore, who were looking for a lawyer. Uh, they worked at a firm called Colesby Gordon, which is a very well-known firm. Yep. Um, and they needed an associate. And I, I, I didn't know who Colesby Gordon was. All I knew was that they were in Liberty Place. Um, they had Great a location. They had a piano there. You walk in <laughs> right, there. Right, they do. Right. It smelled good. And this is back in 1992 when that was the biggest building in town. Right. And you would walk in there and there'd be a guy playing the piano. And I'm like, I want to work here. This sounds great. <laughs> and then the, and, and the place always smelled like muffins. It was, it was awesome. So, you know, next thing you know, I, I got a job there. And that was in 1992. And I worked there for four or five years and learned from Alan, the likes of Alan Gordon, Herb Colesby, Mitchell Shore, Ken Rothweiler, uh, Phil Robin. Uh, These are the top he, names of, the, of medical malpractice the, at that time. The, the top guys. And I didn't, I didn't even know where I was. But I, before I know it, I was in a courtroom with with Mitchell and with Ken trying these big cases really back in the 90s. That's where I kind of cut my teeth doing that. And, and it was awesome. It was just a great, great time. You know what's amazing? Uh, you know, so medical malpractice, a very interesting area because, you, you know, there's almost not a firm in town that doesn't have on their website medical malpractice, but you can probably count on one hand who, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic there, but um, very few actually do medical malpractice uh, and do it well. I mean, you cut your teeth off with some of the biggest names in the business who actually do the medical malpractice. Uh, talk about that. Sure. So, um, you know, lots of lawyers will advertise for all types of cases. That doesn't mean that they sort of specialize in sure. it. So most of the cases that my firm undertakes are cases that are referred to me sure. from other lawyers that know right. people. So, so we just have a wide uh, spread of lawyers that send us cases, and we review them, and then we undertake them and, and pay a referral fee on, on, on those cases, and that's how it kind of works. You don't, we, have a, we have a presence in a website, but we don't have big billboards or, or, or you know, huge, huge advertising budget. But the people know us because we've been doing this for 30, 40 years. My older partners, Stuart Eisenberg and Ken Rothwell, have been doing it for almost twice as long as I've been doing it. And over the years, you get a reputation for, one, for trying cases, and two, for winning cases. The, big, the biggest mistake you can make from, from a lawyer's standpoint, I think Danny can speak to it, is trying to handle a case you're not qualified to handle. Oh, man, I can't and I have, I have given Danny's name to so many people because they'll toy around and mess around with yeah. a products case or a medical malpractice case, and really they're doing themselves and the client a disservice because Danny knows how to put the case together and has the resources. You have to know as a lawyer when to say, I'm out, and Danny's Well, out. and what's and interesting, and... and, and um, especially if you're the client, because it may only happen once in your life, you have to get I don't, you, know, you have to get the right attorney. Um, and a lot of times, if clients aren't referred by somebody, and I'm sure you get a lot of client referrals right. who you've, you've you've already represented. Um, but the point is, uh, you know, a lot of clients. You know, they, they don't know the difference. And if they get unlucky, it could impact their, their entire life, not only, uh, you know, in the present, but in the future. That's right. So I'll give you an example. Someone could call me up and say, hey, Dan, would you mind writing up my will? Okay? So I know enough about wills. I can have a discussion about it at a cocktail party and I can talk about it. I would never write someone's will. Um, I could probably do it, but I, that's not what I do. Sure. And a will is, is such an important document, whole different area of the law than what I do, completely different. But, you know, the person that's there to say what they want to do with their property is gone when the will takes effect. They've died. So you don't want to mess up a will. Right. So, you know, and, and that's just an example. You want to be able to go to people that really have experience. It's not that, you know, we're geniuses or anything like that. It's just that we've been doing the same thing for 30 years. We have access to experts in, in medical fields and all types of specialties. Um, the medicine becomes the same over, 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 over time. And we also, we've tried many cases. And again, you know, you want someone to represent you. If you're going to have to go to trial, you want someone to represent you that tries cases. Sure. And that's all that I've been doing. I've tried many, many, many cases, arbitrations, and, and uh, you know, but, but jury trials in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So is everybody else in my firm. So, Dan, um, listening to you, I've always meant to ask you this. Did you ever want to go back to medical school? 
I mean, you're, you're <laughs> so well-versed in medicine. Your dad, your brother, there's so much medicine yeah. surrounding you. Was it ever a consideration when you were yeah, young? Yeah, I, I was... So here, I'm going to... I'm going to divulge something right now that I'm only going to tell you guys. There's only, we have uh, a, and the 10,000 people that are listening, but go ahead. But only on exclusive. WWDB uh, radio. Uh, so I was pre-med for one semester at Penn State. Wow. Right before Jeff. Jeff got there a year after I got there. And um, I didn't know that. It was just easier to go to law school. No, nah, that's a joke. No, look. Um, yeah, no, I thought about going to medical school, and then it just... What happened that semester? That semester, well, I pledged uh, a fraternity. <laughs> Jeff, fraternity. you know all about that. These uh, are the real and, stories. Let's go. And next yeah, thing right. you know, you had to drop a class, and you had to, you know, too busy... You know, Bio and chem didn't do well busy, while you were pledging? Yeah, too busy doing stupid things uh, for a whole bunch of stupid people. But that's a whole other story, and we spend hours on that. Although it's not a far yeah. drop from, from, from medical to... to to law, you know, it's a pretty good, it's not like you jumped into phys ed and you're going to, yeah. you know, not no. not that I, you know, have anything against phys ed, but you know, you get the picture. So, med, med, med class are a little tougher. So the closest I came to medical bit. school was I would, during law school, I would go to the medical school and study there because it was close to where I lived and I got to meet some, some med students and things like that. And I, I always had an affinity for people that do, and let me just say this, because I, you know, I think, I feel I need to say, you know, I have total respect for the medical community. We have in Philadelphia, we have some of the greatest doctors, Absolutely. the greatest hospitals in this city, bar none. And I can say that because I've been doing what I've been doing. Um, and just because I handle medical malpractice cases doesn't mean this isn't the greatest city in the world for, for medicine. Oh, it's really, a great medical it, city. It really right. is. I mean, we have the greatest institutions and with greatest dedicated uh, health care providers that, that, that you can find that I have total, total respect for. But I'm, I'm here, you know, to represent clients that believe they need representation and I take it very seriously. Jeff knows this. I mean, um, if I can't help people, um, I want to help people. But what I always promise people is this. Look, I, I don't know if I'll be able to help you, um, but I will help you get answers. And when I get a case and the medicine's complicated, I, I meet with doctors. I'll go to, I'll, you know, I go to here, some of the great institutions in Philadelphia. I'll go up to New York. I'll go up to Harvard and Boston. I'll, go, I'll fly to California just to get the answers by talking to people for these clients. Many, most of the time, there are there is no case. There is no case. There was no substandard care, um, and overwhelmingly, there is no there is no case. But people want answers, and many times, when they've been through a tragedy at, at a hospital or an institution, they, they come out of it and they don't know what happened, they, or they don't understand what happened, and it drives their their passion and drives their anger and their sadness. And as a lawyer, and again, I don't get paid unless we take the case and make a recovery, but. As I feel it's my responsibility uh, as someone who's committed to doing this and, and doing it at a high level to get people answers, and that's what we do. You know, it's interesting you say that because we had an injured workers program uh, with, with the union community, and I had a, an iron worker, um, call, a, 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 a union representative call me about a member, and I talked to the guy, you know, one, you know no problem. Next thing you know, he's called me. He's on workers' comp. He had, a, uh, he had surgery and something got left in his arm or something like that. He tried everywhere to get a PI attorney to take the case. Um, no one would take the case. He was going nuts because he thought that the doctor who was um, assigned to do the surgery was a, at a big university, he was a big acclaimed doctor. He, he said, he did, I know we didn't do it as assistants. Bottom line was this, exactly what you just said. This man was going absolutely I mean, crazy out of his mind thinking that that doctor was so big that they were, you know, he was, everybody was afraid of him. Finally, and I'm sure you know the attorney that, um, that I, I you know, he'd been on some shows. Sure. And, and I was, and I gave him a call and I, I, I described the situation. And he said, Joe, he's probably got a case, but A, B, C, and D. Nope, it's not a case that probably. There's enough at the end of it for the guy to go through it. Right. And that's why he can't get someone. Now, he explained it probably at the time. I just called the guy. Let me tell you something. That changed that guy's life because guess what? He was so stressed out that he was getting screwed over by the entire uh, you know medical establishment because this big surgeon, and that wasn't the case. So your point, the fact that you talk about explaining to somebody, and the fact is, we all, you know, we all self-diagnose, right? I got a case. Sure. I had a buddy of mine because I've done a couple medical malpractice shows. My best friend called me from the hospital, and he goes, he, he starts to whisper on the phone. Now, he, he was in, he had a serious situation, but, and he went, I can't talk right now. I'm going to sue this doctor for medical malpractice. Mm. I said, listen, 
I'm an iron worker. Let's get that straight. And I do talk radio. But his name's Joe. And I said, Joe, probably don't have a case. <laughs> you know, b- 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 because the guy didn't, you know, make his rounds. But my point is, you know, this, the other case was really serious. And, and the fact is, uh, you know, the, you, you make a great point. Not every, by, far from every case that it is brought is actually a case. Sure. Sure. And look, this is, uh, you know, I come from Philadelphia. I grew up here just like Jeff did. And um, I, I have an appreciation for, for people from Philadelphia and a hardworking, hardworking group of people. And when they've gone through something tragic, and this is the, I mean, the cases come to me are, are, are tragedies involving deaths, God forbid, the death of a child, um, all these types of things, or, or, or really, really badly injured people. Um, the first thing they want, well, the thing that they want the most that they may not be able to articulate, they really want answers. You know, they want answers, and they want to be treated with respect, and they want to be given straight talk. Because it, really, 95% of these folks come to me, and they don't know what happened. They yeah. just know something bad happened, and they feel like someone's covering something up, or someone's not well, telling Well, lots of times truth. it is a cover-up. I mean, they are trying yeah. to, 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 yeah, to hide but, what but, happened. But people, like, so, so the doctors in the hospitals are afraid of getting sued. So if they say something, they may get sued, or right. they don't. So they, they choose, many times they choose not to say something. And again, these are, these are great, great people. But the clients come to see us, they want answers. And that's what we do at the beginning. And if you can't put a case together, then we do it. Sometimes you can't, but you at least give people um, the respect, uh, give them an answer, and explain to them in plain terms, simple terms, why um, there was no uh, breach of the standard of care, which is what you need to prove in a medical malpractice case, or why that mistake did not cause the harm, um, or why you don't feel there, there is a chance for uh, a successful recovery at the end of the at the end of the at the end of the day, and and people really do appreciate even the they people, do man even the yep. people you turn back as long as you tell them to give them a straight scoop and show them that you worked at it yeah. and gave it gave it some time, um, even if you don't get paid anything and most of the time Jeff knows this we take we only take things we look into You're it we're going to vet the and case we, spend, we we vet the case we yep. spend our own money we we spend our own time and we make commitments and nothing comes from it. Um, a lot of people don't know that. They, they see lawyers driving big cars. I don't have a big car. But they see lawyers, dr- lawyers driving big cars. They go, oh, my goodness, they must do this, that. Now, there's, you know, with what we do, we put our, we put our necks on the line. And I'm I happy wanted to, to follow up with you, Dan. Yeah. To do it. This is a question that's always burned, and you know, I want to always ask you this question. Throughout my career, lawyers are always blamed for driving doctors out of Pennsylvania, out of practice. The, the lawyer is, or the medical malpractice lawyer is the person driving you know, the, the shutdown for years, I'm sure you've heard this at, at, at parties, at weddings, and, and, and different functions, that the lawyer is the bane of the existence of the doctor. Right. How, how do you answer that question when people say to you that, that lawyers are driving good doctors out of our state? So, so if, we, if we turn back the hands of time and go back to the 1990s, there was an effort by the Pennsylvania Medical Society and other medical societies to, that were, they, were, they were upset with the premiums that they were paying on their malpractice policies. Right. Um, what was driving that, in my view, what was driving that was the economy at the time and, and insurance companies. Okay? Greedy insurance companies. Greedy insurance. And, and, you know, Jeff and I share lots of, you know, we're probably share many, many views together. We, we, we both hate insurance companies. <laughs> and and there's, we go into that. But, but what, drove, what drove that was, and they were paying high premiums and they were angry. Um, about it, and um, but there they were took reasons, it out of the there lawyers. Were reasons, they took there were reasons the for that, and and then they took it out on the lawyers. But they 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 coalesced and they decided to make a push towards tort reform, which is two bad words uh, as far as I'm concerned. And it doesn't do anybody any good because what that does is it just gives a lease for bad doctors to continue to do bad things, which we don't want to have happen. I mean, part part of this is not just to represent clients. Part of this is to send a message to the healthcare community. Hey, you know. Take care, of, take care of your own work. That way we don't have any problems. We don't have to have lawsuits, okay? If you just follow, follow the guidelines, take your time, do what you need to do, um, we never get there. So back then there was an effort to – this was all driven for tort reform uh, by the physicians in the hospitals and the, and the leaders in Pennsylvania, and they got some state legislatures, state legislatures to buy into it. And then next thing you know, there's a lot of propaganda about people leaving the Commonwealth, which wasn't true. Um, about um, about uh, about jackpot justice again, which is not true. The fact of the matter is that the numbers, and you can take you can get the numbers from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The numbers don't lie about verdicts. The numbers of verdicts. The numbers have stayed pretty much steady. The n- amount of courses cases right. that have been filed have stayed steady. Take it the pan- take the pandemic out of it for a second. Um, but before all that, 
it was most of, most of what they were barking about really wasn't true. But they were able to do a good job and convince public uh, opinion public swayed. Public opinion, yeah. Public opinion swayed, and they were able to convince some legislators to to begin to prom promote tort reform. And that's when you saw changes in the venue rule, and I don't get so specific about it. Making it harder for you to file lawsuits make it against harder, doctors. Make it harder for and you hospitals. to be successful. That. And, and, and what happened was, if I can say this, is that the doctors and the lawyers got together and the representatives got together and they hammered out, this was back when Governor Rendell was in his second term, um, they hammered out um, some solutions to some of these things with some common sense changes to the law that aren't too bad. There are some changes that I think are really horrible, but um, all in all, um, we all move forward. And it hasn't affected things too much, frankly, either way. Um, it's gone in the right it's gone in the right direction. And that's back in the 1990s. That's sort of ancient history now. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, Jeff, you mentioned that, that uh, Dan was oh, the past president of, of uh, what's it, Pennsylvania Trials? Uh, Philadelphia Trials. Philadelphia, Philadelphia Trials. Okay. Uh, but my point is you're involved in the process right on the front lines there. Uh, and, and, by the way, I, I, you know, you talk, when you talk about doctors and, and lawyers, there's a huge difference in the political um, activity that lawyers, uh, you know, are, are – deal with on a daily basis you guys are involved in the political process uh, doctors are, are just starting to get in, in involved in that area no matter where they stand um uh, you know so you saw a lot of that and you probably dealt with it on, on, a, on a regular basis what yeah. were you seeing in, in regards to tort reform during your one year of presidency talk about the political process with you know personal sure. injury and tort reform in, in our state so let me give let me give props to my to my colleagues in, on the board of the Philadelphia Travelers Association. I mean, I've been involved with many associations over the years. Um, you can't find a, a finer group um, of dedicated people to make sure that we have equal access to the courts for everybody, that everyone gets a fair shake um, with their grievances. I mean, you know, you can bring a lawsuit uh, in, against a big corporation, and you're on equal footing under under the law in this country still. Okay, in spite of some of the things that we see going on. Um, that's what we do. We protect the ability for people to, to go to court if they believe they have a case and get redress, get justice, and, and be treated fairly. That's all we've ever asked for. That's all we've ever done. So I, I had the great pleasure of being president of the, P the Philadelphia Trial Lawyers from the summer of 2020 to the summer of 2021 during yeah. a year that we live in a pandemic. Holy so cow. If I would have only known. So uh, that right. was, it was a couple years in the making, and uh, at the time I agreed to do it, it was several years before that. Who knew? that I'd be doing this with the courts being completely shut down um, and having nothing going on. And people I mean, calling and, you freaking out and, and people asking calling you a million questions. And, 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 including me. And, including yeah. me. <laughs> and it, 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 was, it, was, it was challenging. But, um, you know, look, we came out, and, and i got to tell you again, it, not just me. Um, i got to give credit. Let me just, if I can, just stop. I'll give credit to Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas, um, Judge Lizette Sheridan Harris, Administrative Judge, and certainly Judge Dan Andrews. Um, they had the fortitude to take this situation. I mean, look, the courts were shut down. People were still filing lawsuits, but cases weren't going to trial. So, right. how about, so I mean, let's a, talk about you particularly, Dan. Like, what was in, in those first three months when, when the world shut down? Well, you're you're in a profession where yeah. you know trials move cases. We started with baby steps. What were steps. you feeling? Like? So as soon as soon as we started with baby steps. So as soon as we all got over the initial shock of COVID and began to really kind of understand it and what it would mean in terms of businesses and things like that. Um, we sat down with people from the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania is the boss, so to speak, of all of the common police courts in Pennsylvania. That's the way it works. So we sat down with people from the Supreme Court. We sat down with uh, Governor Wolf. Um, anybody that would listen to us about the, about, about the need to get the courts back moving as soon as possible because people are still aggrieved. And people are still very, very injured, and they're not getting, they're not getting their cases resolved. And under, under the uh, Bar Association, I mean, you have, I mean, it's our ethical obligation to move cases. I mean, you can't let cases sit. So we all recognize that. Um, so what did we do? We started with baby steps, okay? We didn't go to the court and say, we've got to have trials when, 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 you know, this horrible thing was happening to everybody. But we suggested um, all of a sudden, I heard about Zoom, right? Who knew about Zoom? And, we all know um, about Zoom. And now we all know. Now yeah. Zoom is like in our back pocket. It's part of our but, world. But right. we, we, convinced, we convinced the court to have discovery hearings, okay? We just started with the basics. So uh, Jeff knows this, and Joe, you probably know this. I mean, if you have an issue with getting some material that you're entitled to, 
um, and there's there's a problem, you can go and get an order from the court, and it helps move the case along. Sure. All right. So, and that's that used to be a big party. Jeff and I would go see each other. You know, on on the first cattle call at cattle city call, hall, first hundreds Friday, of people. All the people go there, and you get to go back back in the day. We went before Judge Mayer, and you, you complain about why they're not giving you what you're entitled to. And the other side says they don't have to give it to you, and it's a big thing. But it moves it moves cases along. So. The court realized, and, and we just said, we need to have a, a process. That let's not shut everything down. Let's start this. And we started it without, actually, it was before Zoom. We just had a way to, to get them to agree to handle those matters without having hearings. So you didn't have to put people in a courtroom. You didn't have to put people together. But they agreed to do it. And, and we just, we, we took, we got an inch, okay? And we just like, oh, my God. We just made some progress. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, and it's it, that, 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 you know, it, you know what's dawned on me here? Okay, I mean leadership okay and being a part of the process that's right up your alley and now you know as the managing partner and then you know taking on the responsibility uh doing you know to be president of trial or philadelphia trial lawyers during during that time or any time but being a part of that process where no one knew what the hell was gonna right. how this and by the way you mentioned zoom Zoom has changed the world of, I mean, from meetings, business meetings, sure. presentations, yeah. depositions. Travel. No more traveling. I mean, you, you get and, so much done on Zoom now right. in 15 and, minutes. And to this day, and I don't think it's going to change, the Philadelphia Discovery Court is never going to go back. I mean, we're never going to have that in-person meeting over there right. again. It's all going to be done via Zoom. Danny, how about depositions? It's a big so, issue with, with my constituents. Will, will there ever be in-person depositions again? So... So, yeah, so I'm taking in-person depositions tomorrow and okay. Friday. Good. Um, and, yeah. Uh, Will the court so ever order it? for? Because, obviously, the defense bar is very comfortable staying home on Zoom. But in a good case, as you know, when you have a good client and good fact pattern, you want them to meet sure. the person and spend two hours or three hours with them. Will that come back in the future? So, when COVID hit, there were orders from the court, you know, to do things remotely. Uh, right. And those orders have been lifted. So, right now... Um, you want to take an in-person deposition, you have the right to do it. Certainly, if there is a, a doctor that's worried or, or any witness that's worried about exposure to COVID and there's a legitimate concern, they have a right to, again, go to discovery court and have it heard. But there's no, there's no automatic right for Zoom deposition anymore. That's, but you have that's to litigate that or, or go to motion court to get that order yes. for the in-person. Yes. I, I just, when I think about it, I, I sit there and I say, some of those, the great movies that we've ever seen, I just can't see Tom Cruise in, in Jack Nicholson's face <laughs> with a mask on and, 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 them on, and them on Zoom. You can't handle the truth. Um, I, I, I find, the, and we're going to go to break for, for just a minute, but one thing I'll say, and I had a, a lawyer say this to me one time right before he was running for judge, and we couldn't, we said he was actually running within a week or two, so we couldn't air the broadcast, but we took the actual podcast and he put it on his website and sent it out to, you know, on a newsletter and all that, right? And, and so um, I said I would do it, and I did, and, and he said to me during, and he's a personal injury attorney, and he, and he said, oh, I'm not sure if I'm proud of what I do, right? And I'm like, it's a contingency fee, right? I, I mean, I, I want to think, look, I get goosebumps when I think of, I'm, I'm, let me ask you a question. Uh, did these insurance companies roll over, Dan? You, you, when you walk in, do you lay the proof down even when you know you, you, know, you got a great case? Do they just send the check in two days? Or do you sometimes have to vet the case, pay to vet the case, then pay hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes, and this thing lasts two to three years, you don't make a dime, you actually go in the hole. And you do it for free, so individuals who could not possibly afford an attorney of your caliber or Jeff's caliber or anybody at your firm's caliber, if they had to pay out of pocket, and at the end of the day, they never come out of pocket. That's right. I mean, that, to me, that's a hero. That's not... I mean, I mean, nothing happens significantly until you're ready to go into a courtroom. So, I mean, we lay it all out. We lay it on the line. It's, it's not just the money. It's the effort. It's the time. Um, it's emotional uh, when you represent people that have been really, really hurt. And you put it all out there. And, and you lose and, sometimes. And, and you and do some, lose sometimes. And, some, and sometimes you lose. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's devastating. And, and it is devastating. But, um, but we know that's over, rare. It's rare. And overwhelmingly, again, at the, end, at the end, when everyone's ready, everyone's ready to put it on, um, that's when that's when things usually happen. All right, so let's pay some bills. We're going to have more from Legal Talk with Jeff Nirenberg and his guest Dan Jack after the break.
Suffering a personal injury due to the negligence of another, whether it be from a motor vehicle accident, an Uber or Lyft accident, a slip and fall accident, a workplace accident or other, can be a devastating, even life-altering experience. Jeffrey Nuremberg of Nuremberg Law Associates understands how an injury can turn your life upside down. That's why he represents his clients with the utmost care and passion. At Nuremberg Law Associates, you get the representation and resources you need to win and the personal touch and results you deserve. Contact Jeff Nuremberg of Nuremberg Law Associates at 215-569-9100 or online at phillypilaw.com and get the recovery and justice you deserve. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Legal Talk with Jeff Nuremberg on WWDB Talk 860. Uh, Jeff's guest is, is Dan Jack, a fantastic uh, medical malpractice attorney in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, lots of conversation. Uh, Dan is the managing partner of Eisenberg, Rothweiler, Winkler, Eisenberg, and Jack. Uh, and and uh, lots lots uh, to talk about. We're going to talk a little sports because we didn't. And, and by the way, this is when I do wish we had a two-hour broadcast. Not that we couldn't do it, Dan. We could easily record next month in the next hour. <laughs> My wife has a timer on me, but it's okay. She, yeah. um, having said that, uh, big Sixers fan? Absolutely. Absolutely. So... You know, let me just tell you, we, my whole firm is, I mean, we have, we have season tickets, and a lot of lawyers do, and the rub, you know, I, I like to go to the games and actually watch the game. I have partners that like to go to be seen. A social and, right. It's a social thing. You know, they right. go underneath and have a drink. They don't come out until the, right, the right. halfway through the fourth quarter. Right. And <laughs> we, He's we, got great seats, we too, got great so seats. you can see him but, on television. But, yeah, and, and so you can see me on television, and that's good and bad because people text me like, you're eating a hot dog now, or, <laughs> you know, or why are you sticking that in your face, and what's the matter with you? Pay attention, and, you know. Stop picking your um, I really do want to watch the games um, out of all – of my partners, I think I probably know the most about basketball. And, and, and your like, boys be, love basketball, and you love basketball. My kids like basketball. We, Jeff and I, we coach basketball in, in, in White Marsh Township, and um, it's it's great. I mean, it's great. And, it's you know, it's, it's, I like going to the games when the Sixers weren't very good. So it didn't matter to me. Hey, I just like going to basketball. Let me say this. I went to a game. When not only weren't they any good, they were 0-18, and, 18 and I'm, I think we might have won it. It was their first game they won. But the show down there is amazing. I, you know, like, they, what, what they do it's down there, it's, it's a, a great, great atmosphere. It is. I enjoyed myself, and, and, I don't even, and the basketball wasn't that good. You wonder sometimes, and, and Jeff and I have a lot of conversations uh, about it, but, you know, the process – and I, I think, of course, you know, can't help but think of Ben Simmons. I, talk, I, I said that to Jeff not long ago that I don't think Ben Simmons will ever play another game. But, but that was actually before he even got traded. But um, also this, um, what's his name, Fultz? I mean, you look at them two. Them, those are generational draft picks. Those are two first That will destroy this franchise. That ended us. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when you think about it, 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 it's infuriating of epic proportions. Yeah. You know, I mean. And look who you, and look who you could have gotten. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you just got to look at the Boston Celtics, yes, right? Yes. So, Dan, where, where do you stand now? Just so, we haven't gotten out of the second round. We have all these swirling James Harden rumors where he hasn't signed. Where, where do the Sixers go from here? Is Doc Rivers really the answer? And it was my opinion that they should have sacked him. And, and Jay Wright, him. of course. Right. But look yeah. what happened. Look what happened when Joe Girardi got fired by the Phillies. Right. Well, the Phillies are 25 and 13, and they've gone on a run. They're in the playoffs, and I feel like the Sixers are in the same boat, yeah. but they made the wrong decision by not firing Doc Rivers. Sometimes a change really just a change at the top. It right. makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, Joe Girardi was a respected baseball guy, and then all it did was take him, take him out of the mix and give someone else a chance and give some of the younger guys a chance to play, and next thing you know, they go on a tear. And they want to play for Thompson, which is great. Uh, Sixers, look, holidays, holidays, if you look at his record, his record is very good. But the question is, is can he win and get deep into the playoffs? And he hasn't really demonstrated that um, yet. Uh, How know, do we who feel else, about Who else could they have at this point? I mean, who else would you take if, if um, Holiday wasn't in the mix right now? Who's available? You mean, you mean Doc Rivers? I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to say, Rivers, is there Rivers. something I don't yeah. know here? With no, the- Doc Rivers. So, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, who, who's available? I just feel like there's a lot of young talent on the benches of some of the most successful franchises, the Celtics, the Spurs. I personally would love to have a 35-year-old sharp guy, uh, not maybe necessarily from college, but, ex- of course, Jay Wright. I mean, if Jay Wright comes calling, we sign him up to whatever he, he wants. But 
There are assistants out there. I look at Nick Nurse, who was a, a, a uh, developmental league coach. He was an assistant. And now, like, he might be one of the best coaches in the league. And I think they exist. And I think it's a young person sport. And right. I feel that Doc Rivers is an old He's not communicating well. I don't really see any semblance of an offense. And I don't think they're buying in. And I just think that somebody else could get more out of this team. Well, Brett Brown was an assistant coach, too, and he didn't really yeah. work out here either. He didn't but work out here. Now he's back in San Antonio. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I think it's time for a change, um, a change in direction. Um, How do you yeah. feel about Harden and, and you know, his impending well, when agency? Well, Harden, when Harden plays well, he's, he's perfect for them. And when he doesn't, the question is his consistency and can he get through an entire season and, and play at a high level each game. It's very different in the playoffs than it is during the regular season. In the playoffs, everyone decides to play defense in the playoffs, right? right. So, you know, someone's out there guarding Harden at the top. Um, but it's still cool to watch him get by people. He's just so long and – and he can still get by people and get to the rim. And he's an incredible passer, right man. And he's, yes. a great, he's a great passer. He, and when he's on, he's great. But, but how, how long can this go on for? Right? Can we win with and, Embiid? And I mean, is, he, is Embiid the answer? Or is he? Is I think we can win with Embiid. He just needs a supporting cast. Yeah, right. I, I think we need some power forwards that are that are um, you know that are offensive players and that are that are that are powerful underneath. I, I, Jason Tatum. He's down. I don't even like to talk uh, like you just said, Dan. I, I don't even want to think about Jason Tatum. Every time I look at Jason Tatum, I think of uh, faults. Now, I did hear recently somebody said this on a sports show that I actually was on that um, the only reason why they gave the Sixers the second that Boston allowed them to get that second pick is because they knew they weren't taking Tatum. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got – I don't even – I forget the circumstances, wow. but it does drive me nuts because you look at Fultz and you look at Ben Simmons, and I saw I, – I, you know, um, uh, you know – I, I forget what the, it was on Facebook. It was a picture of it was a picture of Ben Simmons, and it was a woman's capture. I'm just looking. She's she's looking for a man who don't play games. In the picture, it was a Ben Simmons. Right? <laughs> he's a laughing stock. I mean, he's a punchline to every joke. Well, if you saw that, did you see that documentary? Uh, uh, one and done. It was up yes. With, for the okay. LSU. Then yes. that explains it right yes. there. The family treated him like he wasn't human. Right. That he was superhuman. If they talked about the league one more time, and he made a mockery of the one and done, it's probably a stupid rule. But the right. fact of the matter is, is that you know, you know, he was on camera, and they weren't holding anything back. Right, right. You know, well, look. When the issue, as I see, it, is Joel Embiid. I mean, what's his window at this point? I mean, he's, he's two or three more seasons. Couple, a couple more seasons, right. and God forbid something happens to him. Um, you know, this now is the time. Right. So they, th you know, can, can you blame them for? I mean, Harden, Harden was a, a good idea um, because now is the time. I mean, if there's somebody else they can plug in at, at this point and take him over the top. But you know, you you gotta you're gonna have to beat Boston. You're gonna have to get by Miami. You're gonna Milwaukee, have to get by Phoenix, Milwaukee. Right. Um, Too I mean, many these, teams. These these are really good teams with really good benches. I mean, the Sixers bench. Going in, going, you know, at the end of the year wasn't as strong. I mean, they picked up Tucker, they picked up House. Uh, House. Um, that's no. not gonna. That's not gonna move the needle. To, Tucker's to a tough dude, but he's thirty-seven years old. Right. 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 His eight so. points and six rebounds isn't winning you a championship. He, yeah, right. He's a feisty dude, though, man. Yes. Like he, he, he can, he can change the. Um, uh, you know the attitude on the court quickly because he, he's just one of those guys. I'm I'm sure. I mean, because I know I hate him when we were, when we were playing. Sure. You just love to hate, I guess, except for if he's on your team. So you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm at least glad about that. I need to switch gears, Dan, because I'd be remiss. We are such big Penn State families. My dad, my sister, and I are Penn State. You and your wife and your two boys are Penn State. What is your feelings about USC and UCLA being added to the Big wow. Ten and potentially? Penn State traveling to California to play these teams. Ah, so, <laughs> you know, it, it, it cuts both ways, right? So, you know, the, the competition is not even harder. It was harder before that. Right. You know, uh, the Big Ten beats up on each other in football and in basketball. And at the end of the year, I mean, basically in order to get the chance to get in the playoffs, you maybe, maybe one loss undefeated. You know, two losses, you're not getting in. Right. And if you're playing Ohio State and Michigan and – um, and, and now USC you're gonna play. And, and now UCLA. you're gonna have to play USC. And I mean, what are your chances of, of getting through unscathed? Unscathed. Is, is, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. But on the other hand, California is nice. So I mean, <laughs> um, I've been out. I've them, been right? out. I've been out twice to see them play in the Rose Bowl. Playing USC in the Rose Bowl, and they lost twice. And you know, I'm 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 hoping that they'll beat USC at some point. I'm not so worried about UCLA right now, but they're getting better. 
Um, and then we look, Jeff, you and I got friends in California. So now we, we got a place to stay. And we do. We can go hang out, go hang out in Hollywood and go check out, uh, you know, the boulevard. How, and how and by the way, let's get your game while we're here, right? <laughs> the, the, fo- the last question about Penn State is we've talked about Doc Rivers. We've talked about Joe Girardi. How do we feel about James Franklin signing the mega yeah, contract well, for, for mediocre, really for mediocre I results? I know how you feel about it. Jeff. You know how so I, I don't, feel. Maybe he was on the, on the brink of being fired not long ago, And he right? just got a 10-year contract for $100 million. That's all, yeah. I mean, somebody, so, how is that he must have video on somebody. I don't yeah. know. So I disagree with Jeff a little bit on this one. I, 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 you know, and the knock on Franklin is, is he can't coach a game, but he's a great recruiter. And they've gotten great recruits. And I was just up at school with my son, who's orientation. We met some football players, uh, new football players were all up there. And, and they, they, they love James. I mean, the team loves this guy. So he recruits really good on paper, he recruits great players. They love to be at Penn State. They Did love to play for heart, him. Danny? Did but it break your can heart? he coach a game? Well, the Iowa game comes to mind when we had oh, to put our go. backup quarterback in. Yes. James Wasn't Franklin. Ready. James Franklin didn't coach up so well, and it right. was a national embarrassment watching I, Penn State. And I'm thinking to myself, I read about the backup. He's a five-star recruit, but he looked like a, a, a poor high school quarterback. Isn't that coaching? That's why you're a good lawyer, Jeff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, our, it kills yes, me. Jeff, but that's one one digression. I mean, you know, for, for that – for that mess, and that was a mess because that guy was not ready to play. And yes, you blame the coaches for that. Um, are you ready to trash Franklin and all of the, you know, Buck how, many, how, top, how, how many how many five star recruits and top recruits has he gotten? Um, every year they're in the top five um, recruiting class in the whole country, um, and it hasn't panned out yet. So maybe he needs to turn over the call, the play calling uh, to uh, you know to somebody else or whatever, but, you know, he does get great players. He does. And it, there's but a there's lot of competition. More, there's and more to it than just getting them. You have to develop them and, and somehow compete Absolutely. with Ohio State. But, again, who would you rather have, Jeff? Well, like, who's that, out there? I'm, I'm not that well-tuned and well-versed in college football coaches, but I would say that he's had ample opportunity to produce, and, unfortunately, I don't think he's, he's produced enough. Well, we'll see. You know, I mean, I'm a, a big Penn State. I coached the kid, I was telling Jeff, in high school football who went to Penn State. His name is Scott Paxson. He was all Big Ten, played in the NFL uh, for Cleveland and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, this was back in 2000 and I think one. He was a big dude, like 6'4". He was a tight end that we would flank out. I was coaching freshman. He was a senior at the, at the time. Um, and I, you know, they, they were just great kids. Ironically, the best player on our team was his best friend, okay? Right. Who, but he, he, he was a, a, a division one double A running back. They were incredible. Scott went to Penn State, went from tight end and 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 defensive end to nose guard. Put on fifty pounds and was uh, you know just a you know it was just he was incredible. Um, been a big Penn State fan since you know for my entire life. Um, you know I, I I was surprised personally as just as a fan, obviously because about a year uh, before I mean what a couple years ago they were you know on Franklin big time ten years a hundred mil. Is it, was it 100 mil or was yeah. it 90? Okay. I think something like that. Yeah, yes. something, something crazy. So I, I wish him the best because I'm a fan no matter what. Um, and so, but, but, you know, we're going to be living with it. I don't think they're firing him anytime soon. <laughs> Agreed. I want to take this back to law, Dan. By the uh, way, you got three minutes. No problem. <laughs> Real quickly, um, you know, I've, I've looked through your bio, and I know that you've had so many, uh, you know, notable verdicts and settlements. One that stood out to me, there was an eight $8 million settlement against a product manufacturer on behalf of a young, permanently brain-damaged child. Uh, talk about it a little bit. I just wanted to hear just briefly uh, what the case was about and, and, and why it worked out so well. So, you know, not getting into names for confidentiality's sake, um, I got a call from a lawyer up in New York about a case that he had handled that involved a young kid getting um, – having a nurse administer medication to him, actually TPN, or what's called total parental nutrition, which is for kids that are born who are underweight or have issues um, with nutrition and putting on weight, um, making sure that they get this supplement, this nutritional supplement to them. And it can be given via feeding tube. It can be given via IV. Um, and the nurse um, gave the wrong mixture and, and, and caused major, major damage to this young kid calls me up because the pharmacy, the commercial pharmacy that mixed the material was located in Pennsylvania. And this, this young, young, young man lived in New York City. So I took a look at the case and, and it occurred to me that 
what happened here was is that essentially the sugar water or this 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 mix that helps you put on weight. What happened here was is that it had contained ten times the amount of sugar in the mixture, and if you put that into somebody, you're going to cause brain damage. Wow. Okay. Jesus. And the, and the label had been messed with. So the the claim against the nurse was that you never you never give an IV. Uh, or hang an IV if something on the label is, is wrong. It's the first thing nurses learn. If the, if the label's been mislabeled or been altered, you do not place it in someone's arm until you check it out. So he had a case against the nurse. I said, he settled his case against the nurse for, all, for the entire policy. He said, came to me, he said, what do you think about the pharmacy? And it got me thinking, and I went and spoke to some pharmacy experts, and it occurred to me, and this was my idea, why should um, a pharmacy be permitted to mix something that can kill you or cause brain damage. Right. Um, and literally, it's a machine that's hooked up to a computer that's hooked up to 10 different bottles of liquids and medicines and sugars, and you input the data into the computer, and it mixes this mixture. And here what happened was is the person that input the data into it input the wrong data into it. Actually, wow. the, the math was wrong. And it mixed it, and then they mislabeled it, and then it got sent to New York, and it hurts this child. So my idea was... Did it go to trial? Did it settle? No, it didn't go to trial. But the theory was that there should be software, that if you improperly put together some type of combination of a mixture for an, I, for an IV solution or for medication, it should red flag it and not let you mix it from the get-go. So I right. went and spoke to pharmacy experts, and they said, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I, I, I literally made it up. And it turns out that... It gained traction. It gained traction, and it turns out it's actually what some other companies did. So get an expert, put the case together, file the lawsuit, uh, Philadelphia, keep it in Philadelphia, and then on the, on the cusp of trial, we had a big mediation. And the theory was is that essentially if somebody does an error in inputting information on how to mix something, it should be red flagged. So uh, you don't know how much this is going to hurt me to say this, but we only have about 30 seconds left to do this. I could literally, you know, if, if you guys gave me to go, I'll stay another hour. I'm not kidding you. We have plenty of time you, talking yeah, about. You know, I'm just saying, or how about this, Dan, why don't you, um, why don't we do a plan of part B? Because there's so it. much to talk about here. I mean, literally speaking, um, Dan, if you would contact information uh, for, your, your, you know, yourself and the firm, if anybody sure. wants to get in touch. Sure. So again, my firm's called Eisenberg Rothweiler. My name's Dan Jack. Uh, we're here in Philadelphia, 1634 Spruce Street in Philadelphia, 19103. My telephone number is 215-546-6636, and you can reach me at dan at erlegal.com. And I wanted to say thank you to both Jeff and Joe for having me here today, and I think this was great. I'm happy to come back awesome. uh, whenever you need me and uh, answer any questions that anybody has. And um, this was this was fun. Awesome. Fantastic. Can't wait to have you back. And, and, and uh, Jeff, contact information for yourself and the firm? Sure. It's Jeffrey Nirenberg. I'm located at the Dwayne Morris Plaza, 30 South 17th Street. I'm at 215-569-9100. Jeff at phillypilaw.com. And I handle all types of accident cases, but not medical malpractice. I send them to Mr. Jack. Awesome. Listen, I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in uh, to Legal Talk with Jeffrey Nirenberg. Uh, we want to thank uh, Daniel Jack, uh, who's the partner at Eisenberg, Rothweiler, and Rothweiler, Winkler, Eisenberg, and Jack. And why do the partners of the firm get to say the, the abbreviated version? And, and, I, and I'm, and I'm <laughs> losing sleep over the whole... I'm, I'm the best-looking one, so they put me well, in the Well, me <laughs> right, right at you. Uh, of course, I want to thank our host, uh, Jeff Nirenberg, and we want to thank everybody for tuning into the broadcast. Uh, thanks for so much for listening. Have a great day, everyone.